All right, everyone. Welcome to our experimental Wushu Cthulhu Noir game. I am your game master for the night, the Caleb G from the RPG Academy. It is my great pleasure to be here with you, gentlemen. Uh, and let's start with some character introductions, and then we will talk a little bit about the game and get right into play. All right, I'm Daniel Marshall. I'm a, a freelance writer and layout designer and also half-owner of Playground Adventures uh, that does a lot of RPGs for kids and just family-friendly stuff. Uh, and tonight I'm playing Alexander Kerrigan. He's a, a relatively tall uh, kind of muscular but not overly so clean-cut individual uh, likes the the trench coat and you know the the old noir hat kind of look um, his skills are you know, he's really good at observing things he, he spent some time as a profiler in the Chicago police force um, before he had some mental issues uh, which leads into the second second skill um, He's, we call it un unpredictable psychometry. Basically, he gets flashes of psychic insight that he can't control or direct and sometimes have, even has trouble interpreting. Uh, to try to handle that, he traveled to Japan to study martial arts and mastered uh, Tengsudo in Kyoto while he was there uh, and has returned home to Chicago not too long before the beginning of the game. My name's Adam. I'm a game master or dungeon master at Sans Pants Radio, and I'm the, I like to think, the game master of my own life. <laughs> Today I will be playing Vincenzo Davoli, a 32-year-old uh, Chicago gangster, member of the Chicago Underground. I'm a made man within one of the Italian mobs, uh, but before that, I did a brief stint in the European theater during World War II, fighting as a uh, infantry soldier. Before that, when I was back just a kid, my first ever job was a bicycle courier for the Chicago Post. Can, can you just say your name one more time? <laughs> Vincenzo Davoli. Yeah, you cannot get more mobster than that. Oh. <laughs> like, everybody who meets you knows you're in the mafia. Hey, Let's just be honest. Hey, you want a piece of me? <laughs> Come fight me, huh? <laughs> Oh, gosh. I cut you up any day. <laughs> uh, let's get the pizza evil. pie afterwards. <laughs> get some pizza pie uh, for that, huh? <laughs> you look at my um, girl. <laughs> my name is Mitch. Uh, I'm from the Block Party Podcast Network. And tonight I will be playing Dirk Digby, otherwise known as Dangerous Digby, otherwise known as Dirk the Daredevil. Uh, I am a professional stuntman. I, I was a, a roadie for uh, a professional stunt show uh, going around uh, America, and uh, I worked my way up to becoming a stuntman, and now I am uh, nation famous. And so my three skills are uh, greatest stunt performer in America. You can tell I'm very humble. Uh, pyrotechnics... Uh, because I use them all the time as a roadie. And then also navigation, because I was always in charge of driving the big truck 
uh, and navigating us from town uh, to town. All righty, we've got uh, three wonderful rapscallions here to dig into this gritty, maybe a little bit sepia-toned, maybe a little black-and-white noir world. Uh, if anyone is familiar with Wushu, you will know that it is typically a game for big, dramatic action movies. We are going to twist those rules right around, and we are going to use them to explore and investigate this world of noir and Lovecraftian mythos. In Wushu, you typically have different types of dice that are defined by yin and yang, or offense and defense. We are going to put our own little twist on those. So when you are creating your dice pool, for any dice that you want to essentially move you forward in the story, offensive, we are going to call those gumshoe dice. And for any dice that you want to use to protect yourself or defense, we are going to call those Dutch. From the phrase, in Dutch, meaning in a whole heap of trouble. (laughs) Uh, All of our characters also have, uh, I've given you a bit of a boost here, five hit points, and we're going to call those points of moxie. If at any point during investigation or during a scene you do not adequately defend yourself that's when you start losing that moxie (laughs) lastly in addition to the skills that you have each defined for yourselves you have another set of skills and this is defined by a little bit of backstory that we created earlier these skills are a paired skill and they are the paired skills of occult and sanity. These skills work together. If your sanity increases, your occult decreases, and if your occult increases, your sanity decreases. Mitch, Dirk is going to start with a two occult and a four sanity. Adam, Vincenzo is going to start with a one occult and a five sanity. And Dan, Alexander, starting with a three occult and a three sanity. As you will quickly see there, all of those numbers add up to six. Through the course of this game, these numbers may change, but they cannot add up to more than six. So what this means for you guys, you have the flexibility. You can, in effect, lower your sanity to raise your occult if you feel that your occult background and skill will help you in a scene. What this means for you, in addition to the three skills you have given yourself, you may use that occult skill at any point, just like any other skill, and simply narrate its use like normal. However, what that also means is that when we call for a sanity roll, if your sanity has dropped then that means that is your target number to roll for. And when we call for sanity checks, failure will result in nasty consequences. So you see now I've given you a little bit of flexibility with your character, but there is a great risk and reward inherent to that. 
So with that out of the way, I think we can go ahead and start setting our scene. Our game opens on a large locomotive train barreling through the night. This is a Union Pacific Challenger class locomotive en route from Chicago to San Francisco. It is the nebulous, very gritty, noir times of the early 1900s. This is a type of transportation that is trying to appeal to the common working man, the working class, who might be a little bit down on his luck due to problems from wartime and the Depression. The Challenger class is designed to be the very model of modern convenience at an inexpensive price. There are sleeper cars that are very comfortable. There are quite a few dining cars that are also where you would spend your day taking in the scenery, playing cards, chatting with your fellow travelers. Many of these seats actually recline, which is a new, very convenient, very fancy feature. In the back of the train, there is a, an all-night lounge car where you can uh, drink and while away the midnight hours. There are, of course, a few cars for the workers to prepare food, storage, that kinds of thing. Very uniquely to the Union Pacific Railroad and specifically the Challenger class rail line, there are cars towards the front that are reserved for women and children traveling by themselves. Uh, this is something designed to give them a little bit more sense of comfort and security. These cars actually have registered nurses on board to provide help specifically for these people. The trip itself is fairly inexpensive. Meals are purchased for a dollar or less, which is very reasonable given the time and the setting. The three of you are all aboard this train. It has been traveling for a couple of days. So why don't we go around here and talk a little bit about why you three are traveling tonight. Well, I'm... I needed to get out of Chicago. I, I had come back home after my trip abroad and thought that, you know, seeing seeing something familiar w would kind of help me get my head on straight, but it just wasn't doing the trick. So uh, I thought it was time for a, a change of scenery. San Francisco sounded like a, a good opportunity. So Alexander is aboard the Challenger simply to see the world, get out of town, enjoy the trip itself uh, let's go down the line there Mitch why is Dirk traveling on this train Dirk is traveling on this train simply because it's his job to travel upon this train he is heading from a big show in Chicago to another big show uh, of course all booked out uh, in San Francisco the city of angels all right, and Adam, why is Vincenzo on this cross-country trip? 
Hey, I don't want to talk about it too much, but if you gotta know, my mom has uh, pneumonia, and I'm going down to see her. Alrighty, fair enough. So, like I said, this is a couple of days into the trip. It is late evening, not yet midnight, but after typical dinner hours. So where do you folks find yourselves on this train? What are you guys doing? Somewhere drinking. They got a bar (laughs) on this thing? Absolutely. The lounge car at the back of the train is uh, exactly where you'd want to be. There's a nice little bar. Uh, It's small. It might not have your exact brand, but it's a nice location. The car itself has that nice heavy haze of cigarette smoke from everyone enjoying themselves. There are a few different card games happening at different tables. There's a couple other gents leaning against the bar. Everyone is, of course, in a nice suit and tie. Collars might be undone by this point in the evening. And let's just say there's a hat rack on the side. Fedoras as far as the eye can see. I keep my tie very, my top button done up and my tie very stiff. I'm a very uh, classy gent, you know, classy gent. So long as I can drink, smoke, and maybe a couple cards, I'm set. All right, well, this is the the location for you, Vincenzo. I I think it's safe to say that after a couple days on the train, uh, you've definitely established yourself as uh, as a figure here every night in the lounge. You're on first-name basis with a couple of the other gents back there. And this is your hangout. This, you're marked, you've marked your territory here on the Challenger. Dirk is uh, not in the same train car, but because it is the bar is conveniently held in the caboose of the train, he is actually outside, leaning on the rail uh, as the train goes through the night. Uh, the wind is in his hair. He's always enjoyed the wind in his hair, and he's just smoking a big Cuban cigar. Uh, takes a puff, and he's just like, ah, so good. Good Cubans. Man, the world would be a terrible place if we couldn't get these here in the greatest country of in the entire world. Uh, and he finishes it off, and he flicks it across the train. He's He's been hanging out here, smoking, trying to get away from the crowds inside Uh, he's had uh, a couple dames just really bothering him for his autograph even a couple of gents as well and he's just grumbling them to himself uh, because he he hates giving autographs if you're the true fan you'd know that i don't give autographs wonderful i love it and uh what about alexander what's he up to tonight i kind of keep to myself so uh i'm outside one of the dining cars, you know, in that railed-in place in between cars, just kind of leaning on the rails and watching the scenery go by, feeling a little bit of the wind, but not standing out full in it, and trying to focus on something to, to keep keep the voices quiet. All right, so the evening passes. Eventually, you three will make your way back to your bunks in the sleeping cars. Uh, Eventually morning dawns and you are all finding yourselves in uh, one of the dining cars for breakfast. This is pretty common 
uh, you've experienced this the past few days. Breakfast is nice and cheery. It's pretty good food. You've had better. You've had worse. But uh, it definitely does the job for for a good morning meal. I'm going to order with my breakfast um, a glass of scotch. Uh, and when the waitress gives me a dirty look, I'm just going to be like, just get it. Uh, I'm not feeling great this morning because the same occurring dreams that I've been having happened again, uh, even though I'm not at home and it's bothering me. Yep, absolutely. She brings you that scotch. She might bang it down on the table a little bit too hard, but she (laughs) does bring it over with your breakfast. I complain loudly. It's not as good as Mama's cooking, but uh, uh, I guess it'll have to do, huh? I make sure everyone is very aware that my mother cooks the most delectable meals that this world has ever seen. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm I'm sitting in probably one of the one of the corner seats and kind of keeping to myself, you know, fedora on the on the table next to me, kind of quietly eating eggs, bacon, a little bit of sausage, maybe normal breakfast. I want to make eye contact with the loud Italian man uh, who just. <laughs> Uh, spoke, and I don't smile. I just have like a straight face. But when he complains about the food, I just kind of raise my scotch glass to him, and I just go, "Couldn't agree with you more." I point and I say, "Yeah, exactly. Huh? Am I right? Would it kill them to work a little on this? Huh? Scrambled eggs? Eh, it's more like guys, uh, more like slapdash eggs. You know what I mean? I mean, show a little respect. Am I right? You talking to me?" <laughs> <laughs> and in the midst of this exchange, suddenly you hear a scream. I jump jump to my feet and look around and kind of hold my head like I just got a, a, a major headache. Try to determine where the scream came from. I put some more mediocre eggs in my mouth and don't look like I heard it the first time. And then slowly kind of turn in my chair to face the direction that it was in. I lean back in my chair, make sure i got a wall in my back so no one can come up behind me or anything like that. And I just curiously <laughs> look around to see if I can tell as well where it's coming from. The scream is coming from the front of the dining car. And you can all clearly see that a middle-aged woman has actually fallen out of her chair. There is a porter standing next to her, offering her assistance and helping her up, but she essentially just tipped out of her chair with a shriek and is on the ground right now. I roll my eyes and do nothing. <laughs> this this might be you uh, <laughs> for you, Dan. Yep. My character sees that going on and kind of grumbles to himself. I can stay on the back of a raging bull and she can't even stay in her chair. <laughs> I walk swiftly over, kind of rolling my eyes at... at the two gentlemen as I walk past them and look up at the porter and, and ask him what what did he see as I'm kneeling down and trying to feel the pulse of the, the woman who fell. So the porter uh, looks up to you and you can see a little bit of gratitude in his eyes. I, I honestly don't know. I was standing here getting ready to, to bring in another cart of breakfast and I, I, I heard the scream and I just saw her pitch over in her chair. So what we're going to do here at this point is we're going to make this 
the first action scene of the game here. The point of this scene is to investigate what has happened in this moment. So I will give each of you a turn here to describe what you were doing, and we will see how those actions translate into dice and how those dice move us forward in the scene. So Dan, since Alexander is over there right now, why don't you give me a, a bit of a narration here of what you are doing? All right. Well, I'm I'm kneeling in front of the, beside the woman, I suppose, and I'm looking over her body, and I don't I don't see anything visibly wrong with her. It doesn't look like she was stabbed or anything. So, I, I'm look up and see that her her breakfast is about the same as ours. So, I go and feel for a pulse to see see if she's still alive, see if she has has breath, and in a moment of shock and pain. When I touch her, I get this flash in my head and kind of fall back and stagger backwards a little bit. So I'm going to count five details in that narration. So you've got five dice to roll here. You may assign them as you wish between gumshoe and dutch. There is a threat of one for this scene. So if you do not get at least one success in dutch or defense, you will take one point of moxie damage. How would you like to d- assign these dice here tonight? I, I think I'll do uh, three in gumshoe and two in dutch, just to start it out even. And what skill will Alexander be using here for rolling these dice? It's kind of a combination of skills. I mean, initially it would be the uh, observational talents from being the, the profiler, you know, checking for the pulse and the breathing. But I also did get kind of a flash of, of insight. Well, let's go ahead and use your profiler skill for this roll. All right. You looking for a five or a lower? Of course, you want to roll them separately. So roll your three gumshoe, see if those are successful, and then roll your two dutch and see if those are successful. I got a four, a five, and a five. So I believe that would be three successes, correct? Perfect. Three successes. And then my two dutch dice, I got a one and a two. Wonderful. So you've got all successful dice across the board. You take no damage, and we have three successes towards accomplishing this scene, which this is going to be a very simple scene. So it's only going to take ten successes to reach a conclusion here. So we've got three down. I'll I'll throw it out there to uh, Mitch or Adam. What would you guys like to do? I feel like... This this uh, man here is showing me up a little bit. He rolled his eyes as he walked past me, huh? <laughs> and I, I like to think of myself as a classy gent. So I get up and I decide I'm gonna help out. I wander over, <laughs> I kneel down next to the lady as well, the broad, as I would call her, and I, <clears throat> I'm gonna try and help try and help her up, pick her up, put her back in her chair, and see if I can rouse her or anything like that. I uh, do that, lift her up, put her in her chair, start fanning her face or anything like that, start looking around. Is is there anyone who might have bothered this lady? Do you fan her face with a wad of money? <laughs> <laughs> no? Classy gent? Classy gent? I do not show off my, my cash. Right now, at least, I don't. I, I take out my monogrammed handkerchief, and I fan her with that. <laughs> and I try to use my almost eagle vision, as I like to call it, uh, whether or not it is, to scan the room and look for anyone who might have caused this malady to her. Wonderful. Well, you know, I'm going to give you six details 
for that one. So how would you like to split those dice up? Vincenzo is a man of action. Vincenzo is not a man of defense. So one defense, five action. Wonderful. So let's roll those five gumshoe dice first and see what happens. What skill will you be using here? I'm trying to read a person, trying to get a measure of him, almost stare some of them down. So I reckon for these offense, I'd like to use my made man in the Chicago crime scene. Perfect fit. I absolutely agree. Roll away. I got four successes. Outstanding. And let's roll that Dutch die and see how that gets you. Fingers crossed. Oh, okay. I got a five. Just (laughs) a success. Perfect. Perfect. As Vincenzo walks over, he helps the lady up into the seat. He's fanning her. Vincenzo does not see anything immediately around her. And Vincenzo does have a very sharp eye. So you're a little bit surprised that you, you didn't see someone that may have been antagonizing her or shoving her. Nothing jumps out at you. And let's let's bring it back to Dirk. What do you want to do here? We are at seven successes total for the scene. We only need three more to bring it to completion. You got this. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> Dirk... After the man who went over to help first, Alexander, falls back after touching the woman, he gets this really weird cold chill down his spine, even though this room has been warm up until this point, and he suddenly loses the rest of his appetite, and he pushes forward his plate, throws his napkin on the table, and starts to walk towards the back of the car because he's decided... He needs a smoke. And he goes to the back door, and he puts his hand on the doorknob to turn it. And as he touches it, he gets a flash of darkness, and he sees in front of him, for one split second, teeth and mouths (laughs) all gaping. And then all of a sudden, it's gone, and he just lets go as quick as he can of the doorknob, and he just stands there and is just looking straight ahead, kind of frozen, for the first time in a while, a little bit speechless. Perfect. I'm going to call five details out of that, Mitch. What skill do you think you want to rationalize here? I think for this skill, I'm going to I'm going to use uh, my lowest skill, navigation, because I was getting up to leave to go somewhere else, and I think that in this action he's kind of jarred out of place as well okay sure absolutely i'm gonna go three gumshoe two dutch all right let's roll the gumshoe first i got a six and two ones okay so (laughs) and then so so close not really (laughs) off by one uh and then i'm gonna roll my dutch (laughs) and i got a five and a two You've passed your threat. You're oh, taking yeah. no And the ones damage. are good. So the two. And the ones are good. Okay. Absolutely. Gotcha. All righty. So it's like golf. we, yes. Yeah. Yeah. We want low. <laughs> we want low here. So there is still one success needed to complete this scene. Who would like to take another turn? I, I yell into the, into the crowd. Oi, any of you flat foots bothering this lady? Huh? Huh? Ah! I yell very loudly. <laughs> Hoping that each of those uh, is a detail. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, that's three. <laughs> that's four now. 
what else is Vincenzo doing as he yells into the crowd here? Let's let's stretch that one out a little bit. <laughs> I I single out anyone nearby. I like look at a, maybe the nearest person to her, the person who was nearest, not the porter, or maybe no. Never trust the butler. I mm. turn to the porter. Was it you? Huh? Huh? I shove him once in the chest. Was it you? <laughs> All right. I'll give you four details for that. You are very generous. <laughs> once again, well, yeah, no, once again, I feel like I'm being very intimidating. I'm <laughs> trying to show people up. I kind of want to use my maid man again. That's fine. That Go okay? for it. Absolutely. Do I still need to roll defense? There is still one threat in the scene here. Okay. So if you do not get that one defense, you will take one point of moxie damage. Vincenzo's feeling a little bit more uncertain with this whole thing. He's not sure what's going on. And so he's he's getting a little bit more defensive to each, I reckon. So for my Dutch, two successes and... No damage. So let's roll that gumshoe. One success. That's exactly what we needed here. So, Vincenzo, you you shove the porter back, kind of getting in his face. Whoa, whoa, I, sir, sir, please, please. I, I I was just standing here trying to help. I, I have no idea what's going on. I, I promise you. I, Let's stand over there and help, I say. Absolutely. Yes, sir. He's, he's super intimidated of you. You see the terror in his eyes. You're absolutely used to this effect on people, though, Vincenzo. You, you're used to uh, getting this result when, when you want it. So he moves away. He moves back to the breakfast cart, and he's just absolutely shuffling dishes around. He's just so frazzled right now. At this point, the lady comes back to herself. She's in her chair. She's being, she was being fanned. You guys are around her. Oh, I, excuse me. I, I'm so sorry. I, I don't know what happened there. Uh, oh, my. Is, is there something to drink? Is there some water? And she's looking around the table. At this point, I'm going to look around and grab the... I'll find a, a glass of water on the table over. Happens to belong to the, one of the couple that's sitting across the way, but that's okay. Grab that and put it on her table as I'm kind of standing up and obviously kind of blinking myself recovering from the images that i just saw and i say here ma'am i I take a sip of it myself first and then hand it to her and say it this will help calm your nerves a little bit as i shake my hand shakes a little bit coming away oh thank you so much thank you she she takes it from you takes a a long gulp sits it down she takes a napkin from her lap and, and wipes her brow a little bit. Oh my, it has, uh, whew, that, that, was, that was a shock. It's been a little while since something like that has happened. I wasn't ready. And then she looks up at, at Alexander. Dear, it, it looks like you had a little bit of an experience there as well. Are, are you okay? I, I, I'm, 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 I'm used to it by, by now. What, what do you mean? What, what, does this happen to you often? Oh, well, well, of course. Anyone with the, the gift tends to be a little sensitive to these types of, of happenings. So it just took me by su- surprise. I don't usually see them in the morning. They usually come out at night. What, what kind of happenings? What, what do you mean? And <clears throat> she, she clears her throat a little bit. Well, the, the spirits, of course. I hear that, and I say, ugh, broads. I go back to my meal. As he's walking back to his table, 
I've turned around after hearing this, and I'm going to walk right past him. I'm going to, because I'm kind of out of it, I don't know how this is going to affect my cousin Vinny over here, but <laughs> I, I bump into him with my shoulder, not like purposefully, but totally. Uh, Which way you going, huh? <laughs> huh? And I just walk past, not even like responding, and I just stand over the lady, and I'm just like, what did you see? So she looks up uh, at Dirk. She's looking between Dirk and Alexander. And there's a, a bit of question in her face, but there's also a bit of understanding. Well, luckily, this time, uh, it, it appeared to just be your average spirit. I, I wasn't really able to communicate with it. Like I said, I, I usually see them in the evening, seeing one at breakfast just took me by surprise, and I'm not quite sure what it wanted, but it was just a typical apparition, and it appeared to be a gentleman like one of yourselves. Dirk kind of stares at her, and then just kind of shakes his head quickly, like as if he was waking up, and he's just like, spirits! I need me some spirits. There's nothing... (laughs) What are you talking about, Spirits. And he, like, kind of walks back to his seat at the table, which he had previously abandoned, knocks on the t- the table and waves over a, a, the waitress, trying to convince himself that he did not have an experience just like these two over here did. Alexander begins kind of mumbling, you know, spirits, that that, that would explain so much. It, it's, there, there's the, the normal spirits, and then there, there's, there's darkness. There's, there's so much darkness. It, it makes sense. And then sit, I sit down and start asking the lady about her previous experiences and what she thinks seeing the spirit outside of normal time might mean. I talk a big game, but I listen very intently because my character is a scared of ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> so as Alexander sits down and starts this conversation, the woman has recovered by this point, and she's very confident in what she's saying. Well, dear, the uh, the spirit world is much closer to us than people think. People in my family have always been sensitive. They, they have always been able to see what others cannot, hear the voices, understand that from the other side, typically we get warnings, we get advice, we get help. The The, the other side is not a destination. It is a place where our family resides, even after they have passed. But what about you? You you seem to be at least understanding of what has transpired here, but I I, I sense a little bit of trouble about you. Are are you not at ease with your talent to see beyond the veil it, it's not a talent it, it's I'm, it's a curse it drove me from from my job it, it I, I can't touch things I can't interact with people because of the things I see it's they, they can't be real mm. oh and she reaches out to pat your hand comfortingly but stops right before she touches you and and she pulls her hand back oh Dear, I, I'm I'm so sorry. I, I I I did not mean to almost do that. I'm sure it would be troubling for you. Um, there is much more 
real than you may know. I have not met you before today, but I think it's safe to say that you have a a large talent, even if you do not fully understand it. My name is, is Tracy. I would like to speak with you more. I am actually visiting some friends who are skilled like myself in San Francisco, and I, I, I don't want to impose, but I think we might be able to help you. Well, I've, I've, I've spent years trying to get my mind straight. I'm, I'm not quite sure I trust you, though. That is completely understandable. Believe me, that uh, is not the first time I have heard those words from a fellow practitioner of these skills. Tell you what, I am, I'm feeling a little bit oh, more exhausted than I thought. I, I would like to excuse myself and, and, and refresh myself, maybe rest a little bit, but neither of us is going anywhere. I, I think we can meet for a casual conversation a little bit. I, Like I said, I don't want to impose. I, I don't want to force you to do anything, but I, I promise you we can be of assistance. Maybe we can have a few more conversations, and if I can answer any questions or allay some of your fears, we are here to talk. We are here to help. I, I have an organization I can introduce you to, but by no means am I, I forcing you to. I am simply offering. But if you'll excuse me for a moment, I, I think I will return to my bed and, and get a little bit of, of refreshment. Of, of course, of course. And I stand up as she stands up to leave the table and make sure she has a clear path to, to leave the car. Like a gentleman. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so she walks off. She exits the dining car and uh, heads back towards the sleeper cars. So as Alex makes his way back to his seat, I take a cue from my Italian friend and loudly looking at him, looking at my Italian friend, kind of just say, can you believe this pile of garbage spirits dark spirits <laughs> i just like the idea of two like macho men like who are actually secretly wedding themselves <laughs> like <laughs> um. i am a terrified all this conversation of spooks and ghosts and goblins uh, i <clears throat> do not like it at all i i get up and i s- announce loudly to the car uh, time for a uh, time for a bit of a game of cards or something like that. I'll see see you all in the uh, caboose in just a moment, and then I uh, qu- quickly run <laughs> to where where my carriage is or my little compartment is. Go in there, drag my my suitcase up from the top, slam it down on the the seat, <laughs> open it up, rummage around inside it so that I find my mm. pistol. And a little be- and a bunch of rosary beads, and I stuff them both into my jacket pockets, and then I close it all back up and put it back up on top. Alrighty, so this exchange hasn't taken very long, but breakfast is still going on. However, the mood in the dining car is definitely unsettling at this point. So Tracy has left, Vincenzo has left. The morning goes on a little bit and you guys are going about your business wasting time as you have been on the train here it is late morning before lunchtime 
there is a commotion on the train. Whatever car you guys are in, porters are running about suddenly. One of them might run in, whisper to another porter, and they both immediately run out of the room. If, if you're in one of the lounge cars, you'll suddenly see two or three porters running down the alley and from one car to the next. And it seems that they are all converging on one of the cars that typically has some of the train's storage uh, of dry goods right before that lounge at the end of the train. I grab a porter as one of them goes past, and I say, Hey, two things. First thing was my drink. Second thing, <laughs> you running around like headless chickens. It's undignified. <laughs> he is in... A little bit of a state of shock, so he doesn't really respond to you properly. He pulls his arm away from you, and you just hear him say very quietly under his breath, that, that, we, 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 I've, I've never seen something like this. I, I, it's, it's, oh, it's everywhere. The, the, oh, the blood is everywhere. And he runs on his original path. Mm, I get up. I feel a little hesitant. I'm not sure what I want to do here. I don't like the idea of some violence going on that I don't know about. So maybe I'm going to go have a little uh, little surreptitious look. So at this time, Dirk is in the caboose lounge, and he just heard another scream. This time, not a scream like the old lady's scream. This scream, there was something strange to it. It was quick, but there, he just couldn't place what was weird about it. But if he had to describe it, it almost was more animal than it was human. And so he, when he hears that, I mean, he gets up, his chair falls backwards, and he's slowly going to start approaching the door to that next train car. But he's not going to touch it yet, because something happened weird before, so... Alexander's hanging out in the one of the cars forward of the dry goods car, and has this feeling of doom. Not even impending doom, but doom. And slowly kind of gets up, and turns back, and kind of figures out where it's coming from. And in almost a panic, he starts running back to the, the the dry goods car not knowing what's going wrong but knowing there's something very dark and very wrong happening and he's bowling people over and knocking through doors goes through two or three cars and then he come, comes to the, the dry goods car and he much like dirt kind of his hand hovers over the the door handle just a minute and then slowly opens it and what he sees before him is the normal crates cabinets and whatnot but half the car is covered in splattered stains and at first he's not not sure what it is but the profiler in him kind of comes out and he sees little flashes of things like claw marks on on one of the cabinets like something was trying to get into it he sees in the roof one of the the hatches that normally lets air circulate is is wide open and then looks over and he sees behind one of the cabinets where he can't quite make it out there, there's a hand that he 
is the rest of it would be out of out of his vision and he freezes adam if i may remind me of your character's name one more time vincenzo davoli it's fine <laughs> call me Vinny. hey All right. <laughs> hey i remember you you're from the papers aren't you you're the the man what does the stunts yeah dangerous digby yes that that's me yeah you can call me Vinny. i reach out my hand still staring at the door for a handshake i uh shake your hand <clears throat> you notice you probably feel maybe I, I don't know how aware you are of the situation that i've got the prayer beads wrapped up in my <laughs> hand i like kind of for a moment briefly break eye contact with the door and like look down and then look right back if you're hesitating by the doorway i man of action just bursts straight on through pretty much immediately regret it i see the opposite end of this carnage the blood and the, the marks all over the place but standing just for briefly one second a blink and it's gone just standing in the center is the visage of a german soldier splattered in blood whether it's just a, a hallucination or something more it doesn't matter it's gone in that instant and i instead of stepping into the room take a couple steps backwards as you're stepping backwards, I've seen what you've seen from outside the room, except I do not see that the German. I don't see that. I can only see the blood-stained walls if it is indeed blood. And as you're stepping outward, even though my mind is telling me no, I do step into the room, and I kind of survey everything that's there, and I see the, the liquid <laughs> on the wall and I put my hand on it, like not even thinking about it, and look at the red substance on my hand, and I'm just staring. And as you pull your hand away, it's got that hot, sticky, thick liquid stuck to it. You, you bring it towards your face. You immediately smell something that you know is blood. There is no second guessing what this substance is on your hand and you take a deep breath and, and, and step back a little bit the two of you standing there looking across the scene of carnage across this darkened car you see the gentleman that you were speaking with at breakfast Alexander is standing there looking in from the other side there are porters behind you in groups so there are a couple behind Dirk and Vincenzo, there are more behind Alexander. They were running towards the car. Alexander just basically broke through that crowd and got there first. So they're kind of piled up behind him. One of them, an older gentleman who's clearly in charge, with authority but still politely, moves Alexander out of the way and walks into the room. And you see him gasp. And, and step backwards at the sight of what you guys have been observing here. He turns and pushes back past Alexander, and he, he, uh, he uh, um, um, I, I need to get the captain. You, you all need to make sure no one enters this room, uh, make sure the guests walk along either side uh, I, uh, I go back about your work uh, we're going to shut these doors and uh, he walks away back towards the front of the train towards the engine to get the conductor he's visibly shaken but he, he marshals through his experience 
the other porters uh, around him, and he, he goes off towards the front to, to get the conductor. With the three of you here, we are going to have another scene. This is going to be an investigation scene. So at this point, we are going to break out the dice again, and we are going to be rolling to investigate what happened in this car and get some evidence. This is going to be a little bit more complicated scene. We are going to go for 15 successes. How do you guys want to figure out what's going on in this car? I'm going to start by once the the head porter leaves, I close the door and, and click the lock so that because I've been in the Chicago Police Department, I'm kind of used to these kind of procedures. So I'm trying to keep the, the scene pure and then step in, start first looking around with my, my normal senses and I see everything that I've already described and then but that's not helping me. There's too too much to, that could have happened. So I try to reach out with my, my other senses and, you know, slowly come up to some of the, the markings and kind of run my, my hand across it, touch a little bit of the blood to see if I can get any kind of sense or anything off of it at all. Then after I've done that, I, I stop for a minute and try to focus myself and almost try to see the car as it was 10 minutes before i'm going to give you seven details for that description how would you like to break those up the threat for this scene is still one well this is primarily probably my lowest skill so i'm going to go with uh four gumshoe and three dutch so let's roll the gumshoe first what have you got for me two successes and why don't we roll dutch here we've got all three successes that's fair so we've got two successes towards uh, the scene here who wants to go next i step into the room vincenzo is is no coward and he will not allow anyone to accuse him of that i close the door behind me and latch it shut i get down on not my hands and knees but just i take a knee and I start, you know, combing around looking for shell casings or something like that to evidence as what caused all this blood. I don't find any shell casings immediately, so I start searching in among the boxes. Can't find any there. I'm like, hmm, what went on here? I'm not a big knife guy myself, I say out loud, but it looks like someone else might be. I start moving in around the, the storage boxes, looking to see if any of them have been opened. I can't find any of them are opened. I'm like, hmm. I say out loud again, I, I'm not much of a, uh, a thug or just a man for what unwanted violence, but it doesn't look like anything's been taken either. <laughs> I look up. Me- earlier it was mentioned that the, the uh, air, the little hatch up on the roof has been uh, torn open. So maybe I move a box, stand on that, and try to look through the hole. Poke my head out for maybe a brief second get hit by that air that <laughs> rushes past. I'm like, mm, not, no one's up there, I say. <laughs> I come back down, jump off the crate. I turn around to one of you guys, shrug my shoulders and say, nothing. I say nothing. <laughs> There's nothing to say. Alrighty, well that is another seven. I'm feeling very tentative because I saw that, that German ghost, shall we say. So I'm going to put 
three into my gumshoe and four into my dutch. Wonderful. I think your your World War II vet skill is perfect here. All right, cool, cool, cool. So my gumshoe first, I got uh, a two, a three, and a four. All successes. And then my Dutch, a one success. I am not occult inclined, and so I do not know much of what's going on here other than no bullets were used. That is my contribution. And what is Dirk doing right now? Dirk, while all this has been happening, has been quietly just staring at the blood on the wall in front of him, the blood that he touched. And if anybody was watching Dirk, they would see him start to squint. And he's slowly getting closer to the wall, getting closer. His face is getting closer to the blood. And as he's getting closer, he just says, What? What the? Is is that? And he looks really closely at the blood. And it looks like the blood is moving. And so he kind of takes his hand again, the same hand that touched the blood in the first place. And he pushes against the wall and kind of like swipes at the blood, kind of smears it. And underneath the blood, he kind of, like, steps back in shock. There are these tiny little black larva-looking creatures. And they fall off the wall once he touches it. And he's just curious and confused. And then all of a sudden, he realizes and he looks down at his hand. And he sees these larva creatures on his hand. And some of them are digging into his skin. And he just screams, don't touch the blood! Don't touch the blood! And he looks at Alexander because he saw him touch the blood as well. He looks around frantically. He sees a can of cooking spray. He grabs it. He he starts whacking his hand against a box trying to get these larvae off. And he grabs a lighter and just starts to blowtorch the blood on the wall. Oh, man. All right, we're going to do something a little bit... uh different here with this. This is going to be fun. So, I counted 10 details. However, we are also going to incorporate a sanity check. You get to choose first off how many of those details you apply to your sanity check and how many you apply towards a standard role for this narration. Basically, I'm switching my Dutch to Sanity rather than Moxie. No, no. Okay. Uh, (laughs) This is getting worse by the second. (laughs) You are still going to make a gumshoe and Dutch roll. Okay. But you are also going to make a Sanity roll. There is still one threat, and on top of that, you need at least one successful roll for your Sanity to not take some sort of horrible consequence. All right. So you've got you've got ten dice. What do you want to roll for your sanity? Your sanity is currently at a four, so you need four or lower to get success. Can I roll no dice for like Dutch and just take a point of damage? Absolutely. That's always an option. I'm gonna take a point of damage. Okay. Because I just had these larvae just drive themselves into me. I just bash my hand upon a wooden box 
So I'm going to take a point of moxie off. Perfect. My hand is hurt. I might even, depending on how this sanity roll goes, turn that blowtorch towards my hand. So let's... <laughs> I mean, let's see what happens. Ooh. I'm going to roll right. eight gumshoe and two sanity. So I need to get a four or lower because I'm using pyrotechnics. Yes. I want you to roll your gumshoe first okay. because I want to save that sanity roll. Absolutely. Let's roll those eight dice. You are playing it hard and loose, a man after my own heart. <laughs> is it four or below? Four or lower, yes, sir. Okay, then I have six successes. And here is my sanity roll. Two twos. Okay, so you not only give us a great boost towards resolving this scene of horror, but you also retain your sanity. Very well done, sir. That's how it's done. <laughs> so we are at 11 successes total for the scene. We currently have the large, muscly action star burning the walls of this train with a makeshift blowtorch. And the blood is seemingly revealing creepy, disgusting black larva. I'm just going to leave it right there. Someone take it. <laughs> Dan, you got to pick up with Alex. Does he have these things on his hand? <laughs> Seeing what, what's happening with Dirk, he, he looks down and... The blood kind of oozes off his hand, and he does have the, the black larva, but they aren't digging in. They're just kind of crawling around. Mm. No, I, obviously, he flings his hand, trying to, to throw him, and they fly off against the wall and just kind of sit there, and he looks at his hand, and there's little kind of black lines where, where they were crawling around. He's puzzling over that, puzzling over that, and the, the black lines start pulsing a little bit, and... and he gets this look of horror, and as he looks up, he sees the the hand that that is now behind Dirk that he could see before, couldn't see anything attached to it. It moves up and then points at Vincenzo. Alexander's kind of in, in that that stage of freaking out, so he he kind of tries to wipe it off on his his trench coat and whatnot, and the lines are still there. And his like I said, they start kind of pulsing that much stronger as he steps further into the room trying to get closer to the, these these two men that seem to be his allies in this really weird situation. Alrighty, so I'm going to give you nine details. We are going to do the same thing we did with Mitch. So yeah. we are going to have to make a sanity check here. So you will need to, first off, choose to split those nine between sanity and your regular two rolls. My sanity is probably the lowest of the group. I'm going to go ahead and do three for sanity, four for gumshoe, and two for dutch. What skill do you want to use for gumshoe and dutch? I think I'm going to try to use my observational skills because I'm looking at, at these things and trying to figure out what they are and looking at all the details of the veining and then out of the corner of my eye see this hand move you know, well down the car. It would just be my, my observation and analytical skills. Yeah, that's perfect. So we're going to do four gumshoe, so roll those. <laughs> I've got uh, two successes out of the four <laughs> with a five <laughs> skill. So i got a one, four, and two sixes. <laughs> All right. In other games, that would be such it, a great It really role. would. <laughs> Yay. Uh, okay, so your gumshoe's good. Let's hit that Dutch two dice there. I got a, a one and a four, so that's two successes there. Perfect. And let's break down to sanity. Three dice there. So you need at least one success. I got a five, a five, and a three. 
<laughs> so I barely succeeded. The the fates are with us today, gentlemen. <laughs> Sheer luck. That's that's what that was. With this happening, we are at thirteen total successes for this scene. We still need two more to get a conclusion. I st- I, I'm looking around. I'm seeing these little the little uh, larvae things crawling out of any and all surfaces coated in blood, and blood's all over the floor. So I start freaking out when I see them start crawling up onto my shoes. I clamber up as quick, jump up as quickly as I can onto one of the nearby crates, the boxes or luggage or whatever. I kick off my shoes as quickly as I can. They're, uh, I'm an Italian, so they're, you know, slip-ons. You know, you got the, the wog tappers, as they might be referred to. I kick them off and just throw, cast them across the room. I take out two things from one of my, my pockets. I take out a small little hip flask that I like to carry around and a book of matches. I open up the hip flask, pour it all over the joint, and then I light that. I light it, and I you got a blowtorch. pray that that does not come back to bite me. Fire. <laughs> I yell, I'm yelling, I'm yelling, burn it, burn it, burn it all! As I'm doing that as well, I, under my breath, it's like, burn it, burn it, burn it. Madre de Santo, de, da, da, da. I'm praying in Italian as I do that. Now, I'm going to ask you a question here. Yeah. Dan told us that he saw possibly a dead hand pointing at Vinny. Does Vinny see this? I was thinking about that, and I think Vinny doesn't see it because he's too stressed about the little larvae coming out. He doesn't see it immediately, I don't think. Then we are going to call this eight details. And because you didn't see anything, we're not going to worry about sanity. Oh, really? Yeah. It's a stressful situation, but you didn't see the creepy stuff. Scary. I don't like it. (laughs) All right, Adam. So how do you want to break up those eight dice? Split it evenly for each. I'm trying to start an impromptu fire here. So I reckon in the European theater during World War II, it snows, it gets pretty cold. Sometimes you got to light an impromptu fire. So I'm reckoning I'm using my World War II vet. I'll buy it. Go for it. For my Dutch, I got a six, a five, a four, a two. So three successes. All right. So you are fine. No damage taken. And I get three successes on my uh, gumshoe. So all around, you are fine. There's only one threat. So the three successes there with this... uh, impromptu barbecue we are starting. This will bring the scene to a conclusion. Just like the flames licking up the train car walls, layer upon layer of the mystery quickly builds. How did Tracy die? Who is the strange German ghost? What are the dark larvae? Get the answers next time in the conclusion of Shadow on the Rails.